right, hello everybody. Uh, thank you for turning in, tuning into another episode of the Heart of Flesh podcast. So I'm I'm here with Joshua again today. What's up? Uh, we have just finished a series. If you've been listening before, we've just mm-hmm. finished a series about um, God's Word and kind of laying a foundation uh, of what the Bible is, some of the attributes <coughs> of the Bible, um, how to the science of interpreting the Bible, mm-hmm. uh, some of that. And now uh, we're we're going to move into another series. Uh, that we're really excited about. We're going to be talking about um, a term that the theologians often call soteriology, mm-hmm. and that's a big theological word, um, but it comes from the Greek word soteria, which means salvation. Okay, mm-hmm. so we're going to be talking about about salvation, uh, how it is that we're saved, yep. and we're gonna we're gonna go into the Bible and we're gonna kind of kind of peel back the curtain mm-hmm. and, and see um, what salvation looks like how it happens uh those kind of questions that's what we're gonna address um before we do that uh we're going to um kind of lay a foundation in this episode first of all understanding that that the bible the central theme of the bible is salvation and redemption that it is about a fallen humanity that, that was separated from god by sin and then the same God redeeming and, and restoring humanity to himself, right? And, you know, w- one interesting way to kind of highlight this, if we look at how the Bible opens and how the Bible closes, I think I talked about this in the past, but I just I just love this. Um, you look at Genesis mm-hmm. 1 through 3, and then Revelation 20 through 22. Mm-hmm. So the first three <coughs> chapters of the Bible, and then the last three chapters. And what you see is that there's a, a parallel there. So Genesis opens, and what we have is, in chapter 1, we have creation. God, God creates all things. He makes man in his image and after his likeness. Mm-hmm. In chapter 2, you have a, a marriage, marriage covenant between man and woman. And in chapter 3, you have uh, the fall of man brought about by, by sin, um, yep. the, the deception of Satan, and uh, a failure of of the first Adam, Mm -hmm. say first Adam, that's going to, at the end of this, we're going to see why, Uh, that that brings about the judgment of God on, on the world, essentially. Mm -hmm. And through the rest of the Bible, uh, we we see the story of how this is redeemed and and restored. And the Bible ends in Revelation 20, 21 and 22 in this Mm -hmm. way, a a reverse order. So before we had creation, marriage, fall uh, by Satan, and now, in, in in Revelation 20, we have the, the destruction of Satan mm-hmm. and sin accomplished by the second Adam, Jesus. Mm-hmm. And then in Revelation 21, we have a ma- marriage supper, a, a marriage feast, which, which is what it's called, mm-hmm. between the Lamb, which is Jesus, and the church, mm-hmm. the redeemed people of God. And then in chapter 22, we have a new creation. Yep. We have the ushering in of the new heavens and the new earth. So it's a reverse order. Yep. Creation, marriage, fall, uh, destruction of sin and Satan, marriage, new creation. Yep. It's a reversal of the order. Yep. And it kind of form, so kind cool. of kind of puts bookends <laughs> on the Bible oh. and reminds us what this is about. Mm-hmm. It's a story about, about salvation and redemption accomplished by God. Um, 
And that's ultimately our hope. Mm-hmm. You know, we're, we're in the middle of that right now. We're in the middle of God's redeeming work. Mm. And, and as Christians, we're actually called to be redeeming instruments yep. of God, used by God to, to, to bring redemption, to spread the gospel, to, to tell people about Jesus so, yep. so that they can partake in this redemption and restoration. Yep. And, and now, <clears throat> what we want to do in this episode is, it, is to show that at the heart of that redemption and restoration, at, at the very heart of that, is what the biblical authors refer to as the gospel. Mm-hmm. The gospel. Now, you've probably heard that term before. If you're from a more uh, traditional or liturgical church, uh, it's possible that your understanding of the gospel may be just the four books yep. that are called the gospels. So Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, mm-hmm. the, the books that that tell uh, about uh, tell us about the life, death um, of Jesus. But what we want you to see today is that the gospel uh, is more than that when the biblical yep. authors use it. The gospel refers to essentially a message of salvation. And the word gospel in the Greek, you, you've probably heard this before, but it means good news, mm-hmm. right? So it, it is a message with content, uh, with good news that is meant to be preached. Yep. And, and we're going to get into some of that a bit later, but essentially what, what we're looking at when we talk about the gospel is we are looking at the Bible's answer, God's answer, essentially, to the most profound question in human history, right? The most profound question in human history, which is this one. How can sinful man be right or, or be in the right, be mm-hmm. righteous before God? Who is holy. Who is holy. How can sinful man find favor in the eyes of God and avoid avoid disfavor? Mm-hmm. How can we get blessing from God and not judgment? Nope. That, that's essentially the question. Yep. And by the way, every every human religion is, is seeking to answer this question mm-hmm. in, in one way or another. Mm-hmm. H- how do we find ourselves in the favor of God yep. and not in the disfavor? Yep. Right? Yep. And, and what we see is that the gospel gives us the answer to this question and it gives us a unique answer mm-hmm. in, in kind of the, the pantheon of, of religion per se. Uh, we see really, well, really there's two groups. Yep. Uh, all, all man-made religions are going to give a very similar answer. Yep. Um, and, and Christianity gives a unique one, right? So, so the human religions basically boil down to this. If I am obedient, I will be accepted. Yep. If I, follow the steps and I fulfill the, the obligations, so to speak, I will please God in some way and I will be rewarded and be saved. I I go into right standing with God based on how I live or how I act. Right. So, so the impetus of salvation depends on us Mm -hmm. and it depends on us meeting a certain criteria. Tell us what impetus means. Yeah. The driving force uh, behind our salvation is, is ourselves um, and our ability to meet certain obligations. And I, I just want to note this for a second. One, that's not what the gospel is. Mm-hmm. And, but, but if I went out to um, the streets of essentially anywhere in America, uh, certainly around here, mm-hmm. and, I w- and I were to ask people, okay, what is it that, that gets us to heaven? What is salvation based on? 
I think most people are actually going to have a similar answer to this. Oh, yeah. I, I, if I do the right thing, if I live a good life, so to speak, I will get there. Yep. And that's actually what, what is very similar to what human religions say. Yep. That, that if I do the right thing, I will get there. We must, we must save ourselves. We, we must meet the obligations, um, you know, this or that. But in the gospel, we have a, a unique answer. Mm-hmm. In the Bible, God reveals to us the way of salvation and shows us something that is unique and distinct from essentially every other human religion. Yeah, I want to I cut in here just before we move on to that. Um, just to kind of bring this, bring this into maybe uh, like the hearts of you guys who are listening and your minds as well. So like if you were asked the question, say you had a grandparent pass away or a friend or somebody or just think of this maybe as a uh, an exercise of thought if you were asked why would this person be in heaven or why would you go to heaven what would be your answer Mm -hmm. and what jackson's saying is for most people in america for probably a lot more people because people don't actually think about this question the answer would be well he was a good father he was a good person. He went to church. He did all these right. good things. And if that's your answer, what we're saying is that is an that is not the gospel. Yeah. And and people who believe that would not be placing their faith in Christ yeah. or the gospel message. Yeah. Yeah, so we're we're going to define a little bit a bit mm-hmm. more of that. Um, yep. but essentially what that what that boils down to is if I do this yep. and that if I meet the obligations, if I live the good life, um, God is going to reward me and I'm going to go to heaven, yeah. essentially. If you say someone's going to heaven and you point to anything they did, that's not the gospel. Right. Um, so, so in Christianity, mm-hmm. we get a, a unique answer to that question. Yep. Uh, the, the Bible tells us clearly that we, we cannot save ourselves, yep. that we cannot meet the obligations, mm-hmm. that on our own, we cannot gain the favor of God, right? Romans 3.23 says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Yep. So we cannot ascend to God a- and save ourselves. Yep. God, God is not pleased with our, just with our church attendance mm-hmm. um, or maybe our financial donations to the church yep. or those types of things. Those are not enough to, to, to save us from the sin that we have all committed. Yep. But salvation instead must come from God. Mm-hmm. And though we can't ascend to God in this way, in the gospel, God descends to us mm-hmm. in the person of Jesus Christ, and he comes to save, to save sinners. And, you know, the, the man-made religions speculate about salvation, but in the Bible, God reveals to us how salvation actually works. Mm-hmm. And not only does he reveal how it works, but he accomplishes <coughs> it. By sending Jesus, who by his perfect life, his substitutionary death, that means his death in our place, Mm -hmm. and his resurrection and his ascension, he is able to save sinners and to make them right with God. Praise God. And praise God for that. Mm -hmm. Um, So in Christianity, we have have something unique. Not that we save ourselves, but that that God actually uh, came to save sinners. That God actually accomplishes redemption. Yep. That that God actually knows what we need to be saved, and that He actually does it 
and accomplishes it. Mm-hmm. And we are saved by, but w- then what we are saved by is not by our merit, yep. but we are saved by the grace of God. By grace as opposed to merit and, and by faith as opposed to works as well. Mm-hmm. Um, we're, we're saved not by our own works, but by the work of Christ. Yep. Who, and, and like I said, he, he lived a perfect life in our place. He died a death in our place, paying the penalty of our sin so that there is no condemnation for us. He made mm-hmm. full atonement uh, f- for sin. And by his resurrection, uh, he gives us a, a promise of, of new life in him as well. Yep. And the promise that we will be resurrected to be with him as well. Mm-hmm. S- so that is <coughs> the quick snapshot uh, of the gospel. A- and we see in there that, that, that this is primarily about God yep. and not about us. Yep. Um, that God has intervened to do this. And, and you know, part of this, part of this is, I, w- I want you guys to think about mm-hmm. what this means about God. You know, we, in, our, in our series about God's word, we talked about how God takes this initiative to reveal himself, mm-hmm. to reveal truth to us. So, so he gives his word and he accomplishes things through his word and he preserves his word. And at the heart of that, at the heart of the revelation of God is the gospel. That God did not just leave us to figure it out, but he gives us his word to reveal himself and his purposes, and he promises salvation to those who look to him and trust him, and that he will be accomplished. God is not in the heavens, indifferent to human suffering, to human pain. Uh, he's, He's not indifferent to it but he actually works in it. And you think of John three sixteen. God so loved the world that he sent his only son mm-hmm. that whoever would believe in him would have eternal life. Yep. Or Romans 5, 8. God shows his love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. G- God held, held nothing back mm-hmm. from sinful people, but sent his only son in, into the world uh, actually to pay for our sin, motivated by the, the goodness, kindness, mercy, yeah. and love of God. Yeah. It, not an indifferent God, uh, but, but a caring, loving, good God who, who reveals himself graciously and, and accomplishes redemption on our behalf. And, and the way that he does that is by taking the judgment that we deserve. Mm-hmm. That, that's important to understand. The Christ actually, yeah. God did not overlook sin, but Christ actually took it. Yep. You know, 2 Corinthians 5, I think it's 21. God made him, Christ, who knew no sin, to be sin yep. for us. It means that God treated, God the Father treated Jesus mm-hmm. like he committed our sins, yep. like he lived our life. Yep. And the second half half of that verse, in order that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That, that God treated Jesus like he lived our lives, and now that God actually treats us like we lived his life yep he was obedient on our behalf that's called imputation by the way yeah we will probably discuss that a little bit more in the future but i do want to so one of the things that was very like startling and kind of like uh, just like i don't know knocked me off course in like the when i was first learning um maybe more in depth about soteriology or salvation um, I think it's summed up well in a quote by this guy named Vodibachum. He says, the, the gospel of Jesus Christ is a God-centered gospel. Mm-hmm. 
and like what happens is it, it kind of dethrones man the gospel does and i think growing up like i saw the gospel as very man-centered and when i first started seeing like wait god the gospel has god on the throne him as the center of the message that was very kind of startling to me because it's a completely different way of thinking about salvation Uh, and that's that might happen with some people as we're going through this series Um, but we want you to consider what would it look like and i think we might roll into what is the role of the gospel here but what does it look like if the gospel message has god at the center of it instead of man what are the implications of that? And we're going to address that here in this series, but just consider, always have that in the back of your mind. Am I having a, a man-centered gospel that's kind of informing how I live, or am I having a God-centered gospel? Um, and what are the implications of those two things? Yeah. So, yep, Joshua, like you said, so so that that's kind of a little bit of, a, of an introduction to the gospel, to what it is. Yep. Um, just to, to give a summary and what we want to get across uh is that the gospel is not just the four books, mm-hmm. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, but the gospel is the message of the good news of salvation in Christ. Mm-hmm. It is a message with content yep. about how sinful men and women can be made right with a holy God. Mm-hmm. So, so that's that's essentially what the gospel is when we talk about it. now. The other thing I want to talk about in this message or in this episode and get across is the role of the gospel in the life of the Christian mm-hmm. and in the church. Yep. What 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 is the proper role of the gospel? So so we're going to kind of do a survey of the New Testament a little bit really brief yep. and look at look at the importance of the gospel and I want you to have in your mind uh be asking yourself this question. Does your understanding of Christianity match this view of the importance of the gospel does your church hold up the gospel in this way does the person whoever it may be who is responsible for your spiritual care Mm -hmm. the spiritual leader of your church pastor uh priest whatever that may be are they preaching the gospel Mm -hmm. are they are they explaining the gospel yeah i think a good way of like also recognizing if this is happening is are the people in the community around you that are engaged with the same pastor priest, are they talking this way? Yeah. Because it shows you if this isn't happening, that they're not learning it from the person who should be teaching it. So as we go through this, what I want you to see is that the gospel is not ancillary to the Christian life. It's not a side thing. Mm -hmm. The gospel is the absolute heartbeat of Christian faith. And, and often like, Oh, so many people understand Christian Christianity is morality. Mm. Uh, essentially, the, the, the heartbeat of Christianity or the central message is do better and be better. Yep. And that's not, that's not it. If you think that's it, then you've missed the heart of biblical Christianity. Yep. And we're going to see here, we're going to go through um, a few things that are, that are going to highlight the importance of the gospel. So we're going to start uh, first with the ministry of Jesus. Yep. And this is going to be very brief. Yeah. Um, not not exhaustive in any means, yeah. but we're going to look at, at at the ministry of Jesus first. We're going to go to Mark one, yep. okay. So following, uh, Mark highlights the temptation of Jesus in the wilderness, like like many other 
of, of the Gospels do. And if we look at Mark 1, verse 14, immediately following this, Mark says, Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee. This is the beginning of Jesus' ministry. Mm-hmm. Uh, so this is, he's kind of stepping on the scene. So, so Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God. Mm-hmm. Whose gospel? The gospel of God. Who's at the center? God. And saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. So essentially the first thing that, that Jesus is saying, he's, he's talking about the gospel. Mm-hmm. His first sermon, his, his first teaching that he gives, he's talking about the gospel of God, the good news of God uh, that, is, that is coming in him. And, you know, if we look at, if we look at the rest of the chapter, uh, it continues to highlight the, the beginning of Jesus' ministry. It talks about how he's, how he's healing many people. Um, but, but Jesus actually, he, he came to, he came to preach and, and uh, we're going to look at Mark 1, 32 through 39, and it's going to highlight this. So I'm going to read it. Mark 1, 32. That evening at sundown, they brought to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons and the whole city was gathered together at the door. And he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. And he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him, and they found him and said to him, Everyone is looking for you. Now I'm going to stop there. Jesus did all these healings. All of these these great things, people loved it. Mm-hmm. His disciples, uh, after the night, they come out to find him praying. They say, you, you must come back. There's all these more people waiting for you to be healed by you. Yep. And here's Jesus' response. Verse 38. And he said to them, Let us go on to the next towns, that I may preach there also. For that is why I came out. And he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. What did Jesus come to do? He came to preach the gospel. Mm-hmm. He did many miracles and many mighty things uh, as well uh, that confirmed who he said he was. But primarily, he came to preach. Yep. And he came to, to proclaim the good news. You know, if you look at Luke 4, this is another example of the beginning of Jesus' ministry. But he goes to his hometown. Uh, he's in the synagogue. He opens the scroll of Isaiah. People are listening to him, waiting to hear from him. Mm-hmm. He quotes Isaiah 61. Uh, he says, <clears throat> the spirit of the Lord God is, is anon me. He has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor, uh, to, to set free the captives. I don't have it in front of me. I can't remember all of it, but, mm-hmm. but he came to preach. He came to preach a message of good news yeah. and, and to die a death. So, so you see that in, in, in the ministry of Jesus, the primary place is given to preaching. Mm-hmm. When he goes around and, he, and he's talking, it's not... It's not the healing and the miracles that take the primary place. The primary thing that Jesus does is, is teach mm-hmm. and proclaim the gospel yep. and, and what it looks like to be a, a citizen in the kingdom of God. Mm-hmm. So, so this takes a very high role in, in Jesus' ministry. Yep. And I think like this example in Mark, and you even referenced one in Luke, you said something earlier when we were kind of doing a survey that the gospel isn't just uh, the four gospels. And what we would say, like what those four Gospels are doing, what we would say about those is they're showing the message and the content of the Gospel message, yep. which is kind of what you 
reference like trying to make that distinction what are these gospels doing then they're showing us the message in the content of how we can be redeemed and saved yep so yeah all of jesus ministry yeah now as we continue through the new testament obviously in acts you see the apostles going out preaching the gospel um that's essentially what's going on there you see its importance now i just want to look at i just want to look at paul Mm -hmm. for for a bit um we don't have time to cover everything but we're gonna look at paul how did Paul view the gospel? Yep. Uh, how, how did Paul view it uh, in his ministry? Well, we're, we're going to look at that. So we're going to go to Romans 1, the first letter in the New Testament that we have from Paul. Not necessarily the first one that he wrote, but the one that shows up first in our Bible. So Romans 1, verse 1. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. Set apart for the gospel of God. That's how Paul describes himself. An apostle set apart for the gospel of God. He was set apart for that reason, to preach the gospel. Verse 2, this is wonderful, which he promised, the gospel, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his son. Mm -hmm. So Paul's view of the gospel isn't a New Testament reality either. This was proclaimed all over the Old Testament. And we talked about that in some previous episodes. Um, Go back and, and listen to that uh, if you have some time. Yep. And this gospel centers on his son, he says at, yep. at the end there. Uh, later in, <clears throat> in chapter 1, um, Paul talks about how he hasn't been to Rome yet. Uh, but in verse 15, he says, I am eager to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome. He says he's under obligation to preach it to all people. Verse 16, he says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes unashamed of the gospel because the gospel, the message about Jesus, mm-hmm. the preaching of the message about Jesus is the power of God for salvation to those who believe. The gospel is the thing that saves. <laughs> yeah. How, how do people get saved? The content of the gospel mm-hmm. that, that Jesus yes, came yes. and died for our sin. That's, that's how and why we're saved. Mm-hmm. But as that, as that plays out in reality, it's by the preaching of the gospel. Mm-hmm. The preaching of the gospel is what brings salvation yep. it's what accomplished it it's the means or the instrument that god uses to bring salvation yep. now i want to stop there for a second mm-hmm. if the gospel is the means of bringing the preaching of the gospel if the preaching of the gospel is the means that of salvation that god has declared it to be are we doing that in our churches yeah not just are we reading the gospels no are we proclaiming the gospel mm-hmm. are we preaching it yep Paul says he was set apart for this task. And this is how salvation happens Mm -hmm. by the preaching of the gospel. It's the means that God uses to bring salvation. This is not primarily about morality. If you have understood Christianity to be morality in the past, you have missed the heart of it. If you've misunderstood how salvation happens, then you have missed the heart of Christianity which is in the gospel. Now, that, that's just in the first chapter of Romans. Uh, the rest of that, he goes on to a deep explanation of what the gospel is. Yep. But now we're going to move to the next letter. Uh, we're going to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Um, Paul writes to the church in Corinth where he's, where he's actually been before. There's some division there. Um, they're divided about things. And in and, and verse 17, you know, you know, Paul says they're, they're divided about 
who baptized them, who they're going to follow, all of this. And Paul makes this statement, verse 17. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. And not with words of eloquent wisdom, let the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. Mm-hmm. What was Paul's commission? To preach the gospel. That's what he was set apart for. Paul was set apart to preach the gospel. I, I hope you're seeing that this is important mm-hmm. to the Christian faith. This is is the heart of it. Yep. And the rest of chapter 1, when we look at verse 18 through 31, kind of talking about how this message of the gospel, the content, uh, the center of it being Christ crucified, this is a foolish message to the world. Yep. Uh, but, but Paul preaches it anyway because it's the power of God for salvation. Mm-hmm. And because by it, he says that God, God makes foolish the wisdom of, of men so same chapter verse 21 it says for since in the wisdom of god the world did not know god through wisdom it pleased god through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe so, so the world accounts the, the gospel as a foolish message but it pleases god to save those who believe through the preaching of the gospel a little bit later chapter 2. Paul says this, and this this is just going to highlight Paul's ministry. What does Paul's ministry look like? And and remember, if you read the book of Acts, Paul is accused in Acts 17 and his companions of turning the world on its head. Mm -hmm. And if you look at and and read history, after after Christ gave the great commission to to the apostles, after he died and resurrected, Christianity absolutely explodes in the face of much opposition, much yep. opposition, and the death of many, many Christian martyrs. And, and what was at the heart of that? What was at the heart of that ministry? Well, let's look at chapter 2. Paul says, And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. That's the summary and the content of what Paul preached. Yep. Christ and Christ crucified. That's what flipped the world on its head. Yep. Preaching about a crucified Christ. I want you to think about that yep. and consider that. Why, why is that? We can preach about morality as much as we want and, and forget the cross of Christ and we will accomplish nothing. Mm-hmm. We might make people... Um, maybe live a little bit more moral lives. But they will live moral lives and, and walk straight to hell. Yep. Because we kept from them the gospel. Yep. The cross of Christ, which is the center of all of this. Yep. And is, has the power of God to bring salvation and to bring about transformation in the hearts of people. Now... Um, like I said, this is a survey. Uh, there, there's a few more. You know, you look at 1 Corinthians 15, uh, 1, through f- 1 through 4. This is the same, the same letter of Paul. It's just at the end of it. He says, after, after everything in between, he says, Now I, re- I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, by which you are being saved. Verse 3, For I delivered to you as of first importance, what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. The gospel is of first importance. 
it is, um, it, it's our entry point. But Paul also says it, it is the gospel in which we stand. Yep. We don't we don't graduate from this. The gospel's not just our entry point into the Christian life, but it is the propeller mm-hmm. that that drives us. It is the engine of the train that pushes us forward. Yep. Uh, the gospel is the absolute heartbeat and center of the Christian life. Um, yeah. So, you know, this, this will be the last one. Uh, and then we'll kind of try to wrap this up. We're trying to get a little bit shorter on some <laughs> of these. Um, trying. Yeah. Hopefully you guys appreciate that. Now, what? Here, here's the question behind this next one. We're going to be in Galatians one, but here's the question behind this one. How important is it to preserve and protect the gospel and the purity of the gospel? How important is it that we get the gospel right? Is there another gospel? That's the question. And Paul addresses that in Galatians 1. So just, just some background to Galatians mm-hmm. 1. There were, there were some people that went to the Galatian church. They were uh, called the Judaizers. They were, they were Jewish. And Paul was preaching uh, a gospel, the gospel about Jesus, and, and how we are made right with God, um, which Paul says is by faith, in Christ, he says, it, you know, you think of Ephesians two. It, it is by grace, through faith, mm-hmm. apart from works. So it's not by our works. It's not by what we do. But we are saved by a genuine and a true faith in Christ, that leads to godly works. Um, but but it is the faith that is the basis on which we stand. And and the Judaizers came to the Galatian churches, and were telling them that in order to be saved, in order to be made right with God, that they must be circumcised, which uh, is the sign of entrance into the old covenant. Um, but Paul argues thoroughly that, that it was never actually about um, the physical outward sign, but it was about the inward reality of faith. The, the whole Bible teaches this idea that we are saved by faith and not by our works. So in response to this controversy, Paul writes to the Galatian church and he highlights the importance of, of the preservation of the gospel. And he is pretty strong and clear in his language. And, and I want us to see that. So I'm going to read from Galatians 1 and I'm going to look at 6 through 10. So this is how it goes. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, But there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one that we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. So how does Paul address the distorting of the one true gospel? Well, he meets it pretty forcefully. Uh, he, he proclaims immediately that there, there is no other gospel. Uh, there, there is one gospel that saves. There is one gospel that is meant to be protected and preserved and proclaimed. And he calls actually judgment on those mm-hmm. who would preach a different gospel, on those who would offer a different way of salvation when there is only one. So 
I, I hope that that quick survey highlights the importance of the gospel in Christian yep. life. Uh, I, I hope if, if you had thought previously of Christian as, as simply morality, um, as moralism, that you have seen that, that it's actually the gospel that's the heartbeat of, of Christian life, that the gospel is the, the engine that, that pushes the train of, of Christian living, that, that it propels us to, uh, to moral actions, that in the gospel we see the love of God for sinners, um, we see the graciousness of God, uh, we see what God has done, the depths to which he has gone to call us out of our sin and, and, and to give us salvation. And because of that, we praise God, yes. uh, we love God, uh, and we are willing to be obedient to God. And, and we live with, uh, by faith in Christ, we live with transformed hearts mm-hmm. and renewed minds. So I want to I close with this. I think this is a, uh, a rather good summary of the importance of the gospel. Uh, last semester, we read a book by a guy named Paul Washer. Uh, he wrote a book <coughs> called The Gospel's Power and Message. And I'm going to paraphrase him a bit here, but I think this highlights the importance of the gospel. He said that Satan would gladly put a Bible in every hand and command absolute obedience to it in exchange for the gospel. Mm -hmm. In exchange for the gospel. Uh, You could have absolute obedience um, or or the, the attempts at absolute obedience to the Bible um, but if you don't have the gospel, then it's meaningless. Mm-hmm. Uh, the gospel is what is what saves. Uh, we see that it shows us that, that we can't earn this, mm-hmm. that actually we need the grace of God. We need the mercy of God. Yeah. And that God is is gracious and good to offer that. So I, I pray that you would uh, reflect and think about this gospel. Uh, consider the role of the gospel in your life. Uh, consider the role that it plays in your church. Um and continue, continue to read the, the Bible with a gospel lens yeah. and to live your life with a gospel-shaped lens as well. Yeah. So thank you, guys. Uh, we appreciate you ter- tuning in and listening to this episode, um, and we hope that you would be back. Thank you. Thank you.